morning. I'd like to welcome everyone to the service today and those listening on the radio as well as tuning in on uh, Facebook Live. I'd like everyone to uh, stand and join me in the call of worship taken from Psalm 91. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the follower's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by the day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right side, at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes, and you see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, The Lord is my refuge, and you make the Most High your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that they will not strike your foot against a stone. You will, tr you will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble, and I will deliver him and honor him. With, with long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Now let us sing hymn number 47, God Will Take Care of You.
seated. And before I invite the children to come forward for children's chat, I just want to take a moment and read a passage of scripture. As we were singing, Great is Thy Faithfulness, which is one of my favorite hymns, I couldn't help but think of the verses that that, that hymn is based off of, which is from Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations is a whole book about the fall of Jerusalem and, and the prophet Jeremiah crying out to the Lord of all the distress and anguish that his people are experiencing. And right in the center of that book, it says in verse chapter 3, beginning in verse 19, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Right? God's faithfulness is proven to us, not just in the good times and the blessings, but in the hard times as well, because his faithfulness, he will always be faithful to his people, to his word, to his promises, no matter what circumstances we face or no matter what situation we find ourselves in. It's a good reminder for us on, on this morning. So that being said, I do want to invite Miss Carolyn forward and our children for Children's Chat today. fireworks last night. Huh? Did you see them? Hmm? Pretty cool. Do you like stories about kings and queens and palaces? There's always bad guys and good guys in those stories. Well, the Bible has a lot of stories like that. We're going to talk about a young woman. Her name is Esther. Now, Esther's parents passed away, or they died, and she was adopted by her uncle and his name was more I have to always look at it Mordecai okay that's a big name isn't it she was very very beautiful and the king wanted a new wife so he sent his main guy out to look for a beautiful beautiful woman to be his wife well, Esther was the most beautiful person there was. Now, when the king's servants saw her beauty, they told her to come to the palace. And she married the king. Now, here she is. She's an orphan, living with her uncle. And she's also a Jew. And a Jew were God's people that followed him. Was, the Jews are the ones that God brought out of the wilderness, out of Egypt, remember? Okay. Well, this guy, Haman, he's the bad guy, okay? He just thinks he is so important, and he is just everybody's ideal of a servant, you know. So he wants, he asks the king, you know, he's going to have everybody bow down before him. Now, is he God? No. Well, guess who didn't bow down before him? Moradiah. I'll never say his name. Her uncle didn't. Her uncle didn't bow down before him because he believed in who? 
in Jesus and God. He believed in God. And they were living in Persia. So most of the Persians didn't know anything about our God, the one and only God. So when her uncle wouldn't bow down before him, he really was not happy, was he? Haman thought, I'll take care of them. So he asked the king for permission to kill all the Jewish people. Now, what was Esther? She was Jewish too, but she never told the king that. Well, when her uncle found out about what was going on, he sent Esther a message at the palace. And he wanted Esther to go talk to the king. Now, there's rules in the palace. You cannot go to the king unless you're invited. Okay, if you're even a, the son or the daughter or his wife, you can't go see the king unless he invites you there. So Esther tells her uncle that. She was really afraid because if she goes to the king without being invited, she could be killed. So she asked her uncle to have all the Jewish people fast and pray for three days before she went to the king. And Esther prayed and fast for three days. And then she went to the king. Now, who was Esther trusting at that time? God. She was trusting God, wasn't she? She trusted God, and God used this orphan who became a queen to save his people from that mean... She went to the king, and after they had dinner two different times, he asked her what she wanted, and then she told him. Esther was beautiful on the inside and outside, but she was afraid, wasn't she? And she trusted in God. And so the king gave Haman's job to the uncle. So did the evil win or did good win? Good one, didn't it? All the Jewish people celebrated because God had saved them, using a beautiful orphan girl to go to the king. So it's really important to know and remember that God is always at work, even though we don't see him. He was working through Esther, wasn't he? And God uses ordinary people for amazing things. And we need faith to speak out for when God asks us to do that. And that's sometimes hard, isn't it? So that's your queen story for today. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, please help us to choose the things that honor you. And sometimes we have to uh, have a lot of courage and faith. And we know that if we turn to you and ask for that courage and faith, that you will provide it for us. And, and Esther, it was like the Bible said. Her uncle told her, you were made for such a time as this. We all are here for a special reason. And please help us to see that reason as we grow up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Carolyn. Thanks, kids. You guys can head back to your seats. And as they go back to their seats, I want to take a moment and remind us of what our offering is for this morning. Today our offering is going to support the ministry of Rusta Cope in Rushi, Ohio. Um, it's a ministry that helps uh, young mothers um, in need and providing a lot of resources for them. And we're grateful that we're able to support 
their cause uh, through the offering today. So as, they come for, as the deacons come forward to collect the offering, I encourage you to give as you feel led to give today and know that your gifts this morning are going to a good cause. So I invite the deacons to come forward at this time to collect our offering.
Amen. I invite you to remain standing if you're able as we pray together. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to gather here and worship you. We praise your name because you are worthy of all praise and all honor and all glory. And so we gather here today, Lord, to lift your name on high. And so we ask, Lord, that you would be glorified here in this place. We pray that you make your presence known to your people. And I pray that through our music, through the reading of scripture, uh, through our time in your word, that you would help us to know you better so that we can trust you more and serve you in our own ways in our, in our world today. Lord God, we ask that you be with those who are hurting. Lord, there's many who are in need of comfort and strength. There's many who are in need of peace in the midst of difficult times. And of course, Lord, there are many people in our own church family, in our community, and around this world who need healing. And so we ask, Lord, that you would work according to your will and your own way in each of those situations. Lord, we come to you in prayer because we know that you are a God who hears our prayers. We know that because your word testifies to it. And we also know that from our own experience because your word says that you are not far from us, but that you've given us your Holy Spirit who dwells with us so that when we pray, we know that you hear us because you are right here in our midst. And so, Lord, we lift up these prayers to you in full confidence and full hope that you are able to hear and respond according to your will. And Lord, help us to trust that your will is what's best for us. Lord, so often we go through life thinking that we know what's best for us or what we want is best. But Lord, help us in humility and full trust to accept what your will is in our lives, your good, pleasing, and perfect will. And help us to let go of the things that you desire us to let go of and help us to hold on to the things that are most important. And Lord, we ask that you would empower us and equip us to do just that. And Lord, we also ask that you would help us to... Lord, often you use your people to, to be an answer to your people's prayers. And so where we see people who are in need, we ask that you would help us, enable us to help them. Where we see people who are struggling through difficult times, we pray that you would give us courage to step out and be a support and a blessing to them. And Lord, where we can, Lord, help us to be your people people that are willing to step out in faith and do what you're calling us to do. And may your name be glorified in all those things. And may your kingdom be advanced through your church. We thank you for all these things and we pray them in, according to the way your son taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. The scripture reading this morning comes from Esther 4, verses 9 through 17. It's page 495 in your pew Bible if you want to follow along. 
Hatak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death, unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But thirty days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer, Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. Amen. Thank you. Let's pray together again. Father God, as we gather around your word this morning, I pray that you would give us, give me words to speak, words that are honoring and pleasing to you. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in all of our hearts and minds to help us understand what you have for us this morning from your word. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Couldn't help but notice that our kids at Children's Chat were a little slow moving and a little quiet this morning. I'm sure many of you were out watching the fireworks at the Independence Day celebration in New Knoxville last night. Can't but notice that I, I reminded somebody uh, over while we were there that this happens to be usually one of the lower attendance Sundays of the year after everybody's out and enjoying the fireworks and the celebration, but really glad to see you all here. And for those listening on the radio and watching on Facebook, we're glad you're joining us that way as well. But I can't help but notice that they were a little slow, and sometimes I feel a little slow after, uh, after the late fireworks display last night. But today we're going to take some time studying uh, from the book of Esther and I'm really thankful for Carolyn's children's chat because one of the things that we need to do this morning is look at the book of Esther as a whole. The passage that I had Tracy just read for you uh, is kind of a turning point in the story of Esther. But if we're not familiar with the whole story, then we, don't, we can't really understand the impact that this conversation that Esther and Mordecai are having. So I do want to kind of reiterate some of the main points of the story here so that we can understand just what God is doing in the midst of uh, Esther's life and in the midst of uh, what's happening with God's people at this time. So first of all, we have to understand the setting of the story, that this story takes place during the exile and during the reign of King Xerxes of Persia. Um, and, and the main events are taking place there in the capital city. So God's people had been sent into exile. We've read through First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, and the story there ends with God's people having been sent into exile. Last week, we read about how some of the exiles returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, led by Ezra and Nehemiah and others. But this story takes place during that time period, not in Jerusalem, but still back in the capital city of Persia. And so there's a few characters that are at work here. Esther, this orphan girl raised by Mordecai, 
Mordecai, the Jewish exile living in the capital city. It says that in the text, it says that he is from the tribe of Benjamin. And, he, and through the course of events of the story, he overhears a plot of some of Xerxes' officials attempting to assassinate him. He tells Esther what happens and the king's life is spared, earning Mordecai honor and recognition. And of course, there is King Xerxes, who's the king of, king of Persia. In chapter 1, he actually banishes his wife, Vashti, from his presence because she disobeyed his orders. He called her, he summoned her to come into the court, and she refused. And so he banished her permanently from his presence, which set up his need for a new wife. And then there is, as Carolyn so well put, the bad guy of the story, Haram, one of Xerxes' top advisors. He's furious because Mordecai refused to honor him. And so that is the, that is the um, motivation for Haram to go ahead and try to remove and, and destroy all of the Jewish people living throughout the Persian Empire. Haram's actually an interesting character. The, the scripture describes him as Haram the Agagite. Now that's a very unusual name and term, and most of us, when we read titles and names and places in the Old Testament, we often kind of skim over those. But it's a very important distinction. Uh, this harem was likely a descendant of King Agag, who again, probably not on the top of your reading list in the Old Testament. But way back in 1 Samuel, when King Saul was reigning over Israel, the Lord instructed him to go to war against the people, the Ammonites, and their king's name was Agag. And so this harem is likely a descendant of that king. God had instructed Saul to destroy all those people. Saul, in his disobedience, left some of them alive. And this harem is then, a, or this is a descendant of those people. And so this Haman decides to kill, set forth a plan to kill all of God's people, all of the Jews living within the Persian Empire. And he convinces Xerxes to make a decree and sign it with his own seal his own signet, making it an unbreakable law of the land. But neither Xerxes nor Haman knew that Queen Esther herself was a Jew and related to Mordecai. So after, so, so to just take a step back, after Queen Vashti is dismissed from, from, the, from, excuse me, from Xerxes' presence, Esther is brought into the king's harem because she is young and exceedingly beautiful. And after one year of beauty treatments and preparation, Esther has one night with the king. He's pleased with her, and he makes Esther his new queen. Xerxes and his court are unaware, again, that she is a Jew, and Mordecai encourages her to keep it a secret. So we fast forward a little bit to the events then. Mordecai discovers Haman's plan to annihilate all the Jews in the Persian Empire. And so he relays that information to Esther. And in chapter 4, we get this Esther to do something to save her people. But Esther knows that speaking up in the king's presence will be a risk, a risk to her very own life. She tells Mordecai that anyone who enters the king's presence uninvited that is sentenced to death, and the only way to avoid the punishment is for Xerxes to extend his golden scepter as a sign of mercy. And it's been a month since Xerxes had summoned Esther. Who knows when she'd get that opportunity again? And so Mordecai tells her that Esther herself won't be spared just because she's the queen, that she and her family will be killed alongside the other Jews if she does not speak up. 
but he has full confidence that God will save his people one way or another because God is sovereign and his plans will not be thwarted. In fact, maybe Esther was put in this position. She was made queen for this very reason, to speak up for her people, for God to work through her to accomplish his plan. And so Esther agrees to Mordecai's plan, and he asks them all to fast for three days in order to prepare for the encounter. And it's important for us to know the rest of the story so that we know what to take from this. Esther, in the very next chapter, bravely goes out to Xerxes, goes before Xerxes, and he spares her life. She invites Haman and Xerxes to a private banquet and asks them to attend again the next day. In the meantime, there's this whole side plot of Haman attempting to uh, get Mordecai uh, killed, but it does not happen. Instead, Mordecai is honored by Xerxes because of his role in sparing uh, an under, in, in discovering the plot to assassinate the king. And so we look again to the last banquet where Esther hosts Xerxes and Haman. She asks Xerxes to put an end to the plot that will kill her and her people, revealing her Jewish identity to both of them. She then reveals that Haman is behind the plot. And in an act of mercy, the king orders uh, all of the Jewish Haman to be removed from his position, to be executed. And in an act of mercy, he instructs Mordecai to reverse the decision that was made, sparing God's people. On the very day that they were supposed to be annihilated, they defeat their enemies instead. So that's the, the message, the overall plot of the story of the book of Esther. And there's a couple things that are important for us to take from this that apply to us today. And the first thing that I want to point out to you is that God is always sovereign even when he seems absent. God is always in control even when we can't see him or hear him. Now, there's a very unique thing about the book of Esther that I haven't mentioned yet. There's something unique that, about the book of Esther that is, that is not true of any other book in the Bible. If you, read, if you read through the book of Esther, you will note that God is never mentioned once. Seems kind of strange for a book of the Bible, right, to not mention the Lord at all, but it's true. Read through the book of Esther, all 10 chapters, and the Lord is never mentioned by name or even referenced. But that doesn't mean that God isn't working. God is never mentioned, but he is still very much active in what is, what is happening in the events of the book of Esther. It's a demonstration of God's providence. God acts in and through human history to accomplish his purposes, and he's always at work, even in the background. And Esther reminds us that God will accomplish his purposes. He is faithful to his promises in spite of a variety of circumstances. So God will accomplish his purposes in spite of human sinfulness and brokenness. And a prime example of that right from the book of Esther is how Esther herself became queen. So again, the king banishes his queen, Esther, or queen Vashti, from his presence, and so he must find a new queen and so he sets up this, um, let's just say, program to find the woman of his choice. Beautiful young virgins from all over the empire are brought into his harem and given a year to prepare for one night to be with the king. And based on that experience, the king would choose his new queen. God is able to work in spite of human sinfulness 
and brokenness. God used a pagan king and his sinful, unrighteous practices to put Esther into a position to save his people. people. And we must remember also that passages like this are descriptive, right? They describe what actually happened, the sinful actions and all. They are not prescriptive. They are not telling us how things ought to be, only how things are. So in other words, don't take dating advice from Xerxes, right? Don't go about finding your wife this way. This is not what this passage is meant to describe. It's just describing how things actually were. And God is able to use the human sinfulness and brokenness in order to still accomplish his purposes. There's another story in scripture that helps reinforce this idea and probably more familiar to most of us. And that is the story of Joseph and his brothers found at the end of the book of Genesis. Joseph was one of the 12 sons of Jacob, of Israel. And of all of Jacob's sons, he loved Joseph the most. And his brothers were pretty jealous of him. And so one day they decide to get rid of Joseph, to remove him from the, from the story so that they don't have to deal with him anymore. And so at first they want to kill him, but instead they end up uh, selling him into slavery and they think his pro- their problem is gone forever. Joseph ends up serving, being sold into slavery in Egypt and serving in Potiphar's house. And while there, God blesses Joseph and he rises up the ranks. After another series of unfortunate events where Joseph finds himself falsely accused and in jail for some time, he once again rises from that position and becomes second only to Pharaoh in all of Egypt. God blesses him and God uses Joseph to help Egypt prepare for seven years of famine so that, so that not only the people in Egypt, but also God's people would be saved and spared from that experience. And so Joseph, having been beaten, having been sold into slavery, having been left for dead and forgotten, ends up becoming one of the most powerful people in the world. And God uses him to accomplish his purposes. And one of those purposes was to save his very own family. So one day as Joseph is living in Egypt, his own brothers come before him asking for food for their family. They don't realize it's Joseph. They, they never even crosses their mind. And so Joseph looks at his brothers, and in that moment he could have done a variety of things, could have sought revenge, could have left them for dead, but instead he provides for them. Not only does he provide for them, but he brings them to Egypt so that they may live there and prosper there. And so when Joseph talks with his brothers about what they did in Genesis fifty twenty, Joseph tells them this, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. See, God can use even sinful human actions and brokenness in order to accomplish his purposes. That's exactly what he did in Esther's life. God can also use world leaders, pagan world leaders, to accomplish his purposes. Looking back, we know it's King Cyrus of Persia who first ordered for the the Jews to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. Pharaoh himself was a pawn in God's great rescue story from Egypt. The Lord hardened his heart and he refused to let the Israelites go. But that was all part of God's plan to demonstrate his power and authority over Pharaoh, to prove that there is one true God worthy of worship and praise. And here, in the story of Esther, we have Xerxes, again, a world leader in his own right, dismissing his former queen and searching for a new one. 
all part of God's plan to bring about salvation for his people. And finally, in, the, in spite of his people's inaction and unfaithfulness, as Mordecai is trying to convince Esther to act, he reminds her that the Jews will be saved one way or another, that God will accomplish his purposes in spite of Esther's potential inaction. He says deliverance will come for the Jews whether you act or not. God is faithful even when his people are not. He promises to bless all nations through Abraham's family, to establish David's kingdom forever through one of his descendants. Yet God's people constantly reject his plan. They constantly embrace idols of their own making and false gods. Yet God remains faithful. God preserves a remnant. He makes sure the line of David is preserved and that his Messiah will come. God promised to sustain a remnant and the Messiah that will come from the line of David. And those promises will not fall in spite of all of those things. So God is sovereign, even in his silence, even in his seeming silence, I should say. God is still active and working. And here's the wonderful part, that in his sovereignty, in his complete and total control of all things, God chooses still to work through ordinary people like Esther and like you and me. Queen Esther was put in this position so that God would work through her. Again, think about the events that led up to this point. Events that were totally out of Esther's own control. And yet she found herself in a position to make a difference. She found herself in a time and a place where she could speak up in order to save not only herself, but her people as well. God, in his sovereignty, chooses to work through ordinary people like you and me. Trusting God's plan then requires three things. It requires discernment, it requires courage, and it requires action. Mordecai told Esther that she was perhaps put in a position for such a time as this. I think that all of us, no matter who you are, no matter what your circumstances in life, no matter how old you are, how young you are, God has placed you where you are for a reason that you are in the position you're in so that you can make an impact for God's kingdom, so that you can glorify God with your life. And yes, so that God can work through you to make a difference in this world. And so that does require discernment. It requires courage and it requires action. Discernment is that to act on what you know to be true about God's character, his will, and his word. Discernment is especially important at a time when you feel like God is distant or he is not speaking. It would be great if God would just write messages on the wall for all of us to read, right? It would be great if we just all heard a voice from heaven that says, this is what you should do. But we have to acknowledge that that's not always how God works. And so in those times when God seems to be distant, we must learn to discern how to act based on God's character, his will, and his word. It's important to know that God will never contradict himself. He's never going to lead you to do something that goes against what he's made known about himself in his word. As I mentioned earlier, God is not mentioned one time in Esther. But as we've seen, God was still active in her life and in all of the events that are described in the story. And so the goal of discernment is to identify how God is working in a particular situation, which is not always easy or clear. 
The book of Esther comes near the end of the Old Testament timeline. And there's a period of about 400 years between the end of our Old Testament and the start of the New Testament. And I've heard people describe those years as, as 400 years where God was silent. And I would beg to differ, right, with that assessment. Just because we have no writings in our Bible from that time does not mean that God was silent or inactive. God was not far off from his people during that time. God was still there. Generations of faithful believers lived and died serving the Lord during those four centuries. You may read your Bible and see miracle after miracle on every page, but we must remember that these driving moments were typically divine moments, I should say, were typically few and far between. We read the story of Abraham's life over several pages in our Bible, but we must remember that decades often passed between one event and the next. We read through First and Second Kings and, and read entire uh, reigns of kings in just one or two sentences that took, that spanned many, many years. Paul's missionary journeys took years to complete, often staying in one city for prolonged periods of time. But we read from one po- that he went from one place to another in a matter of a few paragraphs. You know, I share these things for you because, yes, God does work in this world. God is active. And, yes, sometimes he does work in miraculous and wonderful and obvious ways. But the majority of our Christian life, the majority of our Christian experience happens in between those events. That doesn't mean that God is silent or he isn't working, but that God is still active and present. And it requires discernment on our part to know where he's working and how he's working. That's where ordinary life takes place. That's where everyday faithfulness is put into practice. God is not silent during those times. He's not inactive, but it requires discernment to know how he's working and where he's working. But we have an advantage that many people in that day did not, don't we? We have his word so that we can read about him, so that we can know his character, so that we can know what his will is and apply it to our particular situation. Many people like Abraham and, and, and others didn't have that experience. They just had to, they had to step out in faith. What we do requires faith as well, but we have the advantage of being able to look at God's word to be able to know who he is and what he's like. We also have the benefit of viewing history, including our own current situation in light of the cross and the empty tomb. God's plan of salvation has been fully revealed in Christ. And so we can look at our own situation in light of God's revelation. That Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the exact representation of of his being. God's character and his will are on display in Christ. So trusting God's plan and requires discernment. It also requires courage. Jesus tells us to take up our cross and follow him. And that's not an invitation to an easy, risk-free life. It's a call to lay down your life for the sake of Christ and his kingdom. Think about what Esther was putting on the line in order to save her people. She risked her very life to do what was right. She knew that the most likely outcome in that situation was that she'd be killed. Xerxes had already proved that he did not suffer disobedience from his queen. And so Esther states at the very end, if I perish, I perish. 
It's not a statement of resignation. It's a statement of courage and resolve. In that moment, Esther was entrusting her fate to the Lord. So Esther must now do the opposite, right, of what Vashti was dismissed for in chapter 1. Vashti was, was disobedient by not going in front of Xerxes when he commanded her to come. And Queen Esther now is going to have to go before Xerxes uninvited, right? The, in a way, the exact opposite of what Vashti was dismissed for. That must have taken courage. God's people always need courage to act, and, and we must depend on the Lord to embolden us to speak up for him. In Acts chapter 4, as the disciples are uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit and going forth, they're brought before the religious leaders and questioned uh, for, and told to stop preaching the name of Jesus. They're beaten for their faith. And they go back and, and they, they gather together and they pray. And you'd think in a time like that, I know if I was in their position, I'd be praying for the Lord to deliver me from those enemies, right? Protect me from the people who would want to do me harm, right? Save me or spare me from another situation like that. But that's not what Peter and the other disciples pray for. Instead, they pray for boldness. In Acts 4, 29 through 30, he says, Now, Lord, consider, your, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs, wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. He does not pay, pray for protection or deliverance from his enemies. He prays for boldness to proclaim Jesus. We need courage to stand, stand strong for Christ to stand strong in his power and strength as our vacation Bible, student, vacation Bible school kids learned this couple weeks ago, to stand strong in his power and strength no matter what situation we face. Encourage is doing the right thing even when you're afraid or worried or anxious. Right? To be brave is to stand strong, to do what is right even when you're afraid, even when you're worried, even when you're anxious. And that is not an easy thing to do. It requires the Lord's strength. Trusting God in his silence and silence and sovereignty also requires action. To put your faith into motion. You need to discern what you believe the Lord is leading you to do. To be bold and courageous and then step out in faith and do what God is calling you to do to be obedient to his word. And that's exactly what Esther did. Esther risked everything for the Lord. Esther risked everything in order to potentially save her people. God is calling us to do what Esther did, to step out in faith, even when it's hard and even when it requires putting something on the line. And I have full confidence that God is worth it because he's already given us everything we need in Christ. We often measure success in this world by things that the world values. Worldly success might mean health and wealth, right? It might mean 2.2 kids with a white picket fence in the suburbs. But that's not how God measures success. God measures success, success through Christlikeness and faithfulness. That's what Esther demonstrated, and that's what he's calling us to demonstrate as well. God has already given us more than we could possibly ask for or imagine. And yes, following Jesus may require that we give up 
things and possibly even relationships that are near and dear to our hearts. Things that the world says are valuable or of the utmost importance. The world says be true to yourself, trust your feelings, avoid discomfort and obstacles at all costs. But Jesus says be true to me, be true to my word, and take up your cross and follow me. But in that, we'll find more than we could have possibly asked or imagined. Jesus promises to give us more in this life and the next. And he'll bless us beyond our ability to understand if we put him first in our lives. In Luke 18, Jesus has this interaction with a rich young ruler and invites him to give up all of his wealth and follow him. And it says that he goes away sad. And his disciples witness this interaction. And, and Peter says, look, look at all the things that we've given up to follow you. And Jesus tells Peter that those who give up their th- give up things in this life to follow Jesus will be rewarded in this life and in the next. We may have to give up possessions. We may have to give up relationships. We may have to give up our jobs or security. But what we give up pales in comparison to what we gain from following Christ. Romans 8.32 reminds us that God has already given us everything in Christ. How we not also? He is for us and he will give us all things in Christ. He who did not spare his own son, how will he not give us all things in him and through him? So God is sovereign in all things, even in his silence. And in his sovereignty, God chooses to work through ordinary people like you and me and Esther to accomplish his will. But we must be willing to discern, we must be able to discern what God's will is. We must be able to have the courage to act on it. And then finally, we must be able to put in action what God is calling us to do. But there's one more lesson that I want to close with here from the book of Esther. And is that is how this story points us to Jesus. You see, Jesus, in a way, is the new and better Esther. Esther risked her life by going before the king in order to save her people. Jesus willingly laid down his life for our salvation. Jesus went before the king of heaven in order to save the lives of his people. But he didn't just risk his life. He knew that he would die in order to save his people. He willingly laid down his life for us, for you and for me. And we too have an enemy. Like Haman, he's trying to destroy God's people. His goal is to steal, kill, and destroy He is a liar who seeks honor and glory only for himself. But the gospel message is this, that the enemy is defeated because Jesus laid down his life for us. Jesus destroyed the power of sin and death. Jesus accomplished this by hanging on a cross. Jesus has defeated the enemy who seeks to destroy God's people. We can experience that salvation by putting our trust in him. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the story of Esther, which, is, which encourages us to trust you even in times of silence and uncertainty. Lord God, you make yourself known to us through your word and through the presence of your spirit. Help us to discern what your will is in this world. Help us to have courage and boldness to trust you in spite of what risks may need to be taken and help us to act on that discernment, on that courage to honor you, and to do your will in this world. And Lord God, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who died and rose again for us. We thank you that he willingly went to the cross 
in order to save us from our sin. That is our ultimate salvation. That is our ultimate hope. And that is a, a, a promise that will never be taken away. We thank you for these things and pray them in Jesus' name. Amen. As we close our service of worship this morning, I invite you to stand if you're able and let's sing hymn number 379, Take My Life and Let It Be. We're going to sing verses 1, 5, and 6. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. You may go in peace.